Welcome to the discussion, Zero Trust in Complex Cybersecurity Environments, sponsored by Akamai. Here's today's moderator, Scott Massioni. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Brigadier General Chad Radigi, the Director of Cyberspace and Information Dominance and Chief Information Officer at the headquarters of Air Combat Command for the U.S. Air Force. We'll later hear from Jay Bonsi, the Director of Government Custom Engineering at Akamai. And General, thank you so much for being here. I wanted to ask you first, you know, since we're talking about zero trust, what is zero trust and, and what is it maybe not as well? Yeah, well, Scott uh, and ladies and gentlemen, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me uh, on board today uh, to talk about what I think is a very important subject. Uh, and that, that important subject is, uh, is zero trust. And so, Scott, you ask a very uh, important question because it frames a lot of the conversations that I have across our, our Air Force today, which is, what is this thing that we call zero trust? It's, it's quite a buzzword right now. It's getting a lot of attention. So. The way that we define uh, zero trust is really an information security methodology uh, for specifying trust to access the data and the applications that we have going on uh, right now in our United States Air Force. It talks in terms of uh, accessing only uh, when it's explicitly earned and not implicitly granted. And so those are important terms because we're trying to put a methodology in place for the way that we access our data and make sure that it's a uh, protected process. So this provides us the visibility and the control to secure, monitor, and manage every device, every user, every application that we're trying to access. So you asked the question about what is zero trust and, uh, and what is it not? So here's what we say when we, uh, when we talk about zero trust. So this is the is. Uh, First of all, this is a series of innovations that have taken place. This is not a singular technology that is out there. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a way that we have evolved uh, our way of thinking and the way that we access data and manage our networks. It is a strategy uh, built around a zero trust architecture uh, that we believe in a couple of important uh, key phrases. So one is that we value identity over the network location. So who are you versus what are you accessing from? That's an important concept. We think in terms of device compliance rather than just credentials. Credentials can be granted at, at a single time, but that device compliance is, a, is applying all the patches, all of the security environment to make sure that when we access that data, that it is real. And finally, uh, we believe in terms of limited access based on a confidence level. So rather than granting full access to all of the information one time, we believe in a back and forth dialogue that ensures that you have the, the level of, uh, of access that is required uh, and that we are constantly assessing your device compliance and your identity. And that's what Zero Trust is all about. So what is Zero Trust not? Well, first of all, as I, as I kind of noted before, it's not a single technology. This is not a, uh, a magic uh, out-of-the-box tool that uh, you, you put just this one product in place and voila, you have zero trust. Uh, so it is not a single technology. It is taking the premise of we are moving beyond username and password and getting to a more deliberate manner where we have continuous identification and authentication of who you where you're coming from. So, Scott, it does. And, and, is, you know, I wanted to ask about the user themselves. What might they see? I think a lot of us have seen zero trust in the terms of, you know, you sign into your bank, they send you an extra PIN number that you have to put in, something like that. Um, you know, what, what do we really see on that end of things? Yeah, what we anticipate our customers seeing is, uh, is, behind the scenes work. There may be some multi-factor authentication that will take place, some of the things that you're referencing, additional pins that take place, but the zero trust architecture and the zero trust strategy is really built on uh, technology itself. It has a lot of automation, it has a lot of controls that are already in place that are simultaneously doing checks as you're trying to access the data. So it is, uh, it is technology that is really working behind the scenes. So what would a user see? Probably not much. 
because zero trust is the framework, the architecture, the strategy that is defining how you access it. And so uh, a, a user is not necessarily going to have to uh, do a whole bunch of different stuff. It's not going to be a huge step up for the user to try and figure out how to use zero trust. Zero trust is built into the network. Great. And, you know, why is it important for an enterprise itself to decide to invest in this? And, and what does that investment take at this point? You know, is this a large money sort of thing or is it a, really a, a change in mindset and framework? There will, there will certainly be some, some dollars associated with this, uh, but this is more of a framework. This is more of a mindset shift. This is the strategy behind it. So as you think about why to invest in zero trust, I would offer uh, three things that I see going on right now in our Department of Defense. First of all is the demand signal. Uh, the appetite from our warfighters is significant right now. They're wanting to uh, acquire more data. They want to know that that data that they're accessing is accurate and is relevant and is timely uh, to fulfill their battle-informed uh, you know, battle decision-making. Their command and control is all built on the need of speed of accessing that data. So that's one is, is really the appetite. Second, I, uh, I see a lot of stuff taking place right now where uh, we are accessing more and more uh, data and we are building networks associated with it. We talk in terms of uh, accessing cloud. We talk in terms of joint all domain command and control where you're gonna have a network of networks that are all exchanging information back and forth. And so zero trust and why it's important to invest in that is that it provides some strategy to bring some order uh, to, the, to the architecture that we have in place right now. Hundreds and thousands of networks all coming together. The framework that we call zero trust, the architecture that we call zero trust, ties all of that together to allow for information exchange. So that's point number two. Point number three is mobility. Right now, if you take a look at, uh, at the vision of the future for not only our Department of the Air Force, but really our DOD, we start talking in terms of dynamic force employment, of adaptive uh, uh, combat operations, so an ACE environment, the ability to, to go forward and have connectivity to the edge. Uh, so that's one aspect of mobility. The second aspect of mobility that I would offer is exactly what we are going through right now, which is a COVID response where we're becoming heavy uh, teleworkers. And so our workforce right now is more distributed than ever. The network attack surface is much larger than it was in a pre-COVID environment. And so as such, having that connectivity in a mobile environment drives the need to invest in zero trust technologies. And, and why do zero trust now? You know, as you said, there's a, 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 it's a buzzword right now you know, why bring it up now? Why start this, this adventure, this journey, um, when we've been using passwords for decades almost? Uh, there, there is urgency now because the, the old methodology, the old security, uh, the, the castle and moat approach to securing the perimeter of our network, it's, uh, it's easily accessible. Our adversaries uh, have the ability to get into our networks. And so that's what this is all about. The old castle and moat approach that I refer to is a very uh, focused uh, uh, security perimeter. And in the old days, if you can get through that security perimeter, it's like the, uh, the, the, uh, the soft underbelly of the network is on the inside. Zero trust is about not only establishing a firm security perimeter, but then providing uh, security locks along the, along the way. Here's the best example that I, that I have. Picture a big office building. If you have keys to the front door and you can get in that building and then you can go to any single office space uh, in that entire building and get in, that's what the current uh, models kind of look like. In the future zero trust model, it's you must have, a, you must have a, uh, a key to the front door and then once you get inside, every door on the inside that has access to individual uh, data repositories or applications or data feeds, all of those are behind lock and key as well. And so you must have the access with the key and the credentials to get into those rooms as well. So what, what, what I think is driving the need right now is that there is more adversary uh, uh, activity right now in cyberspace. 
and we are becoming a more reliant force on data and the exchange of data. And so those two uh, power forces are coming together, which is what's driving why today. Sure. So, General, we talked about where Zero Trust is, what it is, why we need it now. Can you talk about what an individual asset owner might need to do, you know, if you're an agency head, something like that, to begin their journey with, with Zero Trust and also how ACC's journey began as well? Yeah, so uh, Scott, that's, a, that's an excellent question and I'll, I'll describe uh, ACC's response because uh, down at the individual level, you know, I think that that's a, a, a different way forward. So, uh, so Scott, some of the things that we have done here at Air Combat Command to get after our zero trust uh, environment, our architecture, our strategy uh, is built along a couple of lines of effort. So first of all, I will tell you that we built a coalition of, uh, of, of the willing, I'll call it the coalition of the willing, but really it was to drive a unity of effort in our, our Department of the Air Force approach to zero trust. So some of the things that we looked at was how do we get the policymakers from SAFCN uh, online with, the, uh, with, the, with my organization where we're responsible for organized, train, and equip of our United States Air Force from an enterprise IT perspective. And so zero trust falls in that portfolio. We also tied in the operators from 16th Air Force. So Lieutenant General Hawk and the team down, at, uh, down in San Antonio, making sure that the operators that would actually be uh, rolling out, monitoring, securing the zero trust environment, that they were, they were brought in line as well. And then finally, we brought in our acquisition professionals from day one to make sure that we had unity of effort, that the, that the acquisition professionals understood the requirement and understood where we were going. They could hear the policy discussions, they could hear the operator questions and link all that stuff together. So coalition was the first thing that we went after. Second thing that we went after was actually defining our concept of operations. So that took place in the June timeframe and we worked uh, as an app cyber, so an Air Force uh, cyber component to United States uh, uh, Cyber Command. We, we documented exactly what we were trying to do with our zero trust pilot effort. And so we wrote that as part of a concept of operations that was presented to Cyber Command. They gave us the thumbs up and said, let's go ahead and drive to the next step, which is stand up a pilot effort. And so that's the step that we're in right now is uh, how do we assess our concept of operations and actually measure that uh, with actual users. So we have users from uh, the 38th Engineering Squadron at Tinker Air Force Base, along with members of the 552nd Air Control Wing, also at Tinker Air Force Base, participating in our pilot effort. So they're assessing what's going on right now. We're, we're putting the zero trust architecture uh, and strategy in place, and then we're bringing in red teams and offering uh, pen test opportunities. We're bringing in uh, DOT and E to actually run scenarios against our environment and our concept and see if it works. All of that's going on right now. Next step is making sure that we have our enterprise IT service portfolio kind of aligned to what we're doing. So as we start building the, the future budget requirements, we're making sure that everything is locked in at that point. So we're assessing the need for zero trust architecture and a strategy and laying that into our efforts. Finally, I will tell you that uh, we're taking a look at uh, the legacy network that we operate today, but all eyes are on the future network that we're trying to build. And so as new requirements come up, as we look to evolve our network or revolutionize our network to that future network, we're looking for all opportunities to invest in zero trust technologies. So one example right now is our enterprise IT as a service, our ITAS effort, where we're uh, teaming with some of our commercial vendors to, uh, to actually take over portions of our network and, and control it from there. And so zero trust is being built in uh, to that environment as well. We're going to take a short pause here for a break. My guest is Brigadier General Chad Radigi, the Director of Cyberspace and Information Dominance and Chief Information Officer at the headquarters of Air Combat Command for the U.S. Air Force. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, on the discussion Zero Trust in Complex Cybersecurity Environments, sponsored by Akamai on Federal News Network. 
maintain operational efficiency, and ensure seamless secure access to enterprise application services with Akamai's Intelligent Edge platform, surrounding everything from the enterprise to the cloud. With over two decades of service to federal agencies, Akamai keeps decisions, apps, and experiences closer to users than anyone, and attacks and threats far away. Learn how we are supporting the federal government's cybersecurity posture at the edge at Akamai.com. That's A-K-A-M-A-I.com. Welcome to the discussion, Zero Trust in Complex Cybersecurity Environments, sponsored by Akamai on Federal News Network. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and I'm continuing with Brigadier General Chad Radigi, the Director of Cyberspace and Information Dominance and Chief Information Officer at the headquarters of Air Combat Command for the United States Air Force. And General, I wanted to ask a little bit more about what you're doing at ACC. So first of all, you know, you're talking about uh, making ACC a zero trust environment. You also work within a larger Air Force. Now, if that larger Air Force is, does not have zero trust or is not where you are, is that an issue for you? Um, you know, you, how does it work if, you know, like, like many people say, you are your weakest link. If, um, you know, some other command does not have zero trust, is that an issue for you? And then also, when do you see zero trust really launching off in full speed ahead mode for you? So, uh, Scott, I think you, you make an important point and, uh, and one that I would like to, to circle back on. You know, in, in the last portion uh, or the last question and answer uh, uh, environment, we talked about uh, what steps we had taken. And so part one was building the coalition. And so, yes, you are correct. And Air Combat Command is a component uh, of the broader United States Air Force or Department of the Air Force. But... Uh, I think an important point is that we are the lead command uh, for enterprise IT. And so as such, when we have built the coalition, uh, the coalition environment, the unity of effort approach, we have looped in the Pentagon policymakers and the operators that are responsible for all of the activities on our Department of the Air Force AFNET. So while, while we're taking some efforts in ACC, we're doing that on behalf of the entire United States Air Force. And so we are all moving in formation together to build out a zero trust environment. So you asked the question of what are we doing today? And I think there's a number of activities that, uh, that I've kind of described. I will foot stomp that we're, we're actually piloting an effort right now. We, are, we have uh, envisioned a software defined perimeter. We are actually accessing uh, services through what we call the Cloud Native Access Point, CNAP, and, uh, and that is allowing us to build in zero trust principles, such as user and device validation, uh, to access our, our data. All of that pilot effort is ongoing right now, and we have red team operators that are trying to break that and see if there are any vulnerable uh, access points from there. And we're making adjustments. We're learning uh, as we go. The second is, uh, I will tell you that uh, because of our role as lead command, uh, we have taken a leadership role in thinking through the next steps. So not only are we rolling out the pilot effort now, but we're trying to think about the broader implications uh, as we move forward. So here are some things that are underway right now. Uh, as charged by Lieutenant General uh, Chris Wegeman, our Deputy Commander of Air Combat Command. He has challenged us to think through defining what the implementation plan will look like. Uh, what, is, what does a zero trust architecture look like and how do we document that so that we can build accordingly? What does the training pipeline look like? So we will have operators at 16th Air Force. We will have members at uh, base level comm squadrons all trying to understand what zero trust is all about. We have to make sure that they're trained accordingly uh, and that they can access this new technology uh, and, and protect our United States Air Force data. Uh, we, have, we are looking for opportunities to take the next step. So pilot effort right now at Tinker Air Force Base, as I kind of described, but what are the next pilot efforts that we're, that we're looking to do? We have a number of weapon systems that are out there that I think are ripe to bring in zero trust architecture and strategy and, uh, and build it accordingly. So we're we're working through right now with senior leaders to identify those needs and those mission sets that we can go after. We're trying to make sure that we have a unity of investments for zero trust. So I talked about uh, as we maintain the current uh, legacy environment, 
but as we put our eyes on building the future, we are, we are looking for those key investments that we can say, before we start putting money and resources against that, let's make sure that it's going to be compliant with our zero trust architecture. And so all of those efforts are underway right now. Finally, I would tell you that we're also doing some analysis. Part of the pilot effort is to assess our current organizational alignments. Do we have the right uh, operator mix? Do we have the right technology tools in place to get instantaneous feedback and pivot and make fast decisions to protect our network? And so some of that operational analysis is taking place right now, and we will, uh, we will use that information to inform uh, any organizational realignments uh, as, we, as we move forward. Great. And, and you know, we, we already talked a little bit about what agency leaders and leaders can do to start implementing zero trust. Is there anything different within DOD? You know, DOD is always an animal of its own when it comes to these sort of things. Anything different DOD leaders can do to make their enterprise system zero trust and, and maybe some lessons learned through your experience? I think the good news for, uh, for our de uh, Department of Defense right now is that we are all moving in a similar method right now. Uh, with uh, U.S. Cyber Command asking for uh, zero trust pilot efforts from each of the service components. So the Air Force has an approach to the way that we're doing business, but the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps are all doing their own uh, examples and solution sets, piloting different things. I think that we will all learn from one another of what technologies work, what strategy works, what architecture uh, is best fitting for the particular mission that we have. But I think we're all advancing together. I think for the, the, the Department of Defense, one of the limb facts that we have right now is that we don't have a lot of uh, like organizations that have gone and instituted a zero trust strategy uh, for the, their entire enterprise. There are certainly commercial vendors that have, uh, that have made the jump. They have aligned their resources. They have put the structure in place. But it seems like, you know, as, as DOD tries to learn from the commercial enterprise, it's always a little different. And so there is, there is no checklist that we're running. We're experimenting uh, and we're running pretty fast right now. We're taking some risks. We understand that we will probably make some mistakes. The goal is to fail fast and to fail forward and not give up, to keep pushing it, to understand and to be a learning organization so that as we identify those flaws, that we quickly close them and adjust our architecture and our strategy accordingly, and then make sure that our operators are trained uh, in the future to move forward. So I think those are some of the things that are going on right now informing uh, our way forward. We've talked about all these great things about Zero Trust, how it's, it's helping bring us into the next generation of IT. What are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the issues that we're dealing with still? And, and you know, how is it still a little bit of maybe not, uh, not what we need necessarily, not, let me rephrase that. How is it maybe uh, still a vulnerability in ways? Yeah, so I, so I think I would, I would circle back to answer that question by saying, you know, some of the, some of the same things that I, I just referenced, the, you know, the, the no mistake methodology or the no mistake mindset we have to get past that. We have, to, we have to push really hard. We have to accept some failure, but learn from that failure. We have to recognize that there are some models that are out there that we can learn from, just not a lot of them in the DOD right now. And so uh, we will have to adjust. I think the key pitfall that we have to keep pushing ourselves on is understanding that zero trust is not a destination. It is a journey that we're on. And so there really is no destination. We have to get into a mindset where we are going to pivot to this new uh, methodology of accessing data, being, you know, supporting mobile operations, uh, being collaborative, being interoperable with all of the different networks that we have out there. We have to understand that that journey will describe us continually reinvesting, continually learning, continually uh, re-architecting a bit to make sure that we keep up with the technologies. The one thing that we should know, the, the, the common pitfall, is to assume that we will get to a, uh, a graduation moment and we will do a big ribbon cutting and we will declare success. And then from that point forward, we start failing because we are not continually assessing. So we have to continue to learn. 
one thing that we know is that our adversaries will continue to try and break in uh, to our architectures. Uh, they will try and break in and, uh, and get into our networks and see the data that, uh, that we're making decisions on. And so we have to stay one step ahead of our adversaries, and that requires a, a learning organization. Good lessons to keep in mind. We're going to pause here for a short break. I'd like to thank my first guest, Brigadier General Chad Radigi, the Director of Cyberspace and Information Dominance and Chief Information Officer at the Headquarters of Air Combat Command for U.S. Air Force. Coming up next, I'll be joined by Jay Bonsi, the Director of Government Custom Engineering at Akamai. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, on the discussion Zero Trust in Complex Cybersecurity Environments, sponsored by Akamai on Federal News Network. Maintain operational efficiency and ensure seamless secure access to enterprise application services with Akamai's Intelligent Edge platform, surrounding everything from the enterprise to the cloud. With over two decades of service to federal agencies, Akamai keeps decisions, apps, and experiences closer to users than anyone, and attacks and threats far away. Learn how we are supporting the federal government's cybersecurity posture at the edge at Akamai.com. That's A-K-A-M-A-I.com. Welcome back to the discussion, Zero Trust in Complex Cybersecurity Environments, sponsored by Akamai on Federal News Network. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and I'm joined by Jay Bonsi, Director of Government Custom Engineering at Akamai. Jay, thank you so much for, for joining us. The first thing I wanted to ask you about is just really what is Zero Trust? I mean, uh, it's a buzzword we're hearing a lot. Uh, what is it and what is it not exactly? Hey, thanks, Scott. It's great to be here. Um, to start off, Zero Trust is, uh, is a security architecture. It's a, it's a brand new paradigm. Um, it's a way to think about um, a holistic view of IT and, and how you uh, make those assets more secure. It's a, it's a massive sea change for how our customers um, think about fielding capabilities, think about how they enable access for their employees and, and how they keep their adversaries away. Um, it is it is a, a difference from the traditional kind of boundary view of security. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people refer to it as castle and moat, um, but it is, uh, it is this new way where every single transaction, every single resource um, has to be um, authenticated where you uh, receive a level of trust associated with that based upon um, who you are, where you're accessing it and, and kind of other risk factors. Um, so it's, it's more than simply uh, a public access or being able to access your intranet, uh, th those days are gone. Um, and as we move away from those types of VPN type concepts, um, it's going to enable, it, it really forces um, IT shops to think differently about the shared responsibility um, that security truly is. Um, and and it, it has been proven to be considerably more secure, um, uh, especially against things like insider threats and, and people um, who are able to uh, attack a, a weaker or more vulnerable um, asset and use that to gain uh, insight into, uh, into a, you know, in the internals of an IT network. Um, Zero Trust is also a, a pretty big homework assignment um, for, uh, for any organization. It's, it's a truly cross-functional rethinking of that shared security model. Um, in today's kind of boundary centric security world, defense often breaks down around organizational lines where you have an asset owner who is worried about their, their particular asset and you have a network owner who is worried about their particular network and you have HR who is responsible for handing out credentials. Um, and in, a, in the zero trust world, those um, individual stakeholders need to work in a lot more uh, in a lot tighter concert uh, to be able to um, secure assets. So every transaction, every request, uh, and every, uh, every interaction with an IT system needs to be validated, secured, logged, and monitored. Um, and that, that's a, it's just a, it's a different way of thinking about the enterprise. And, you know, I wanted to ask about zero trust as a form of security today. So, you know, we're hearing that it needs to happen now. Uh, but cybersecurity has been around since the, the invention of the internet and probably, uh, you know, obviously as, as a way of keeping computers and networks safe. So why do we need zero trust now compared to 10 years ago or even just a year ago? 
Well, we needed uh, zero trust uh, 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> we needed it uh, way back in the beginning as well. But what we've come to learn about traditional IT defenses uh, with the boundary uh, is that they have proven themselves ineffective. So if you look at a large um, uh, heterogeneous IT or uh, heterogeneous IT organization, then you can you'll note that there are holes in those defenses. And, and this is actually the underlying cause of a lot of the major breaches that you see in the world today. So the Equifax breach was a single server that allowed uh, them to get on the inside of that major network, fish around, find data, exfil, all of that, and get away without being detected for some number of months. You see that pattern happen over and over again. You cannot rely on uh, the everyone to be up to a certain compliance standard. You can't rely on uh, your network defender, whose job, by the way, is your network's job, by the way, is, is to make sure that everyone can talk to everyone else, right? That's the underlying job of a network. And then to ask it to uh, ask it to not do its job in certain bad circumstances is is kind of against its nature. So you you need to take the, the large perimeter that exists around and move that perimeter uh, very, very close to your asset, right? Make these smaller micro perimeters around um, each individual piece of data if you can, if you can make it that small. And, and what that does is that takes, that takes your security, it empowers you as an asset owner, empowers you as an IT enterprise uh, to, to make those local decisions uh, and to, to really inform security so that if something happens to you know, a sibling asset somewhere else in the organization, that doesn't put you any more at risk because being on the inside of the network does not impute any trust. So um, it, it's something, it, it, is a, it is a realization of the complexity of modern IT that you can't defend in this kind of macro level way. You have to shrink it down uh, to be about individual assets. And what about the common customer? You know, obviously this is a way that can really help enterprise IT. It can help people to, uh, you know, make their organization better, safer, all those sorts of things and make, uh, you know, larger grand systems uh, better and safer. But what is the individual going to be seeing, you know, when you are now part of this zero trust network? Uh, are you just going to have to do two-factor authentication all the time? Is it going to be really annoying? Or is it something that we can easily integrate into our, our current cybersecurity lives? This is one of the great things about um, zero trust, which is if you do it, um, it is largely invisible to your end user. Right, they're used to they're used to uh, existing security concepts such as um, SSO, single sign-on. Um, you know, anybody who has a, a bank account or you know, um, th they are used to the concept of multi-factor authentication. They're used to typing a code from their phone or uh, checking a text message or clicking a link from their email. Um, and, and so people are willing to put up with um, a small amount of of hassle so that they know that what they are doing. Um, is secure. The net result of zero trust is often a, a better user experience. We know that the castle and moat paradigm is not actually castle and moats, but it's castle and moats and moats and moats and moats and moats. There are layers and layers of protection that individual users have to get through before they access uh, an application in a, in a sufficiently complicated enterprise. And shrinking that perimeter down often means uh, faster access, it means more convenience, it means being able to get to it from your mobile device or being able to get to it from a, a personally owned computer um, because that asset has the ability to make the risk determination about the platform that you're coming in on. So, so oftentimes um, users are clamoring for that increased access and that um, increased convenience. Having zero trust in place uh, oftentimes emphasizes security, increased access, or uh, user, uh, user experience, right? And every organization kind of subtly picks one of those. And many will say that they're doing under the guise of security, but in, in reality, it is to enable access, is to enable modern remote workforces. I mean, COVID has changed everything um, in terms of how people are able to uh, get their jobs done from home. And, and you know, a lot of the, a lot of the traditional uh, trappings of the office have made way to uh, Zoom calls and and being able to uh, remote into things. So uh, many, many companies these days are prioritizing access as a part of their zero trust strategy. And zero trust is the 
is really the only way to be able to secure that access in this in this new almost fully remote world. So we've talked a little bit about why enterprise systems need this, but I just wanted to foot stomp again, you know, why zero trust is needed in these big corporations in places like, uh, excuse me, in places like uh, the Defense Department, other government agencies, you know, why is this needed uh, for them, for, for anyone that's, that's doing something big? For these large organizations, it is impossible for one person to get their hands around the entire IT posture of the Department of Defense. That, that, that notion is just ludicrous. There are, you know, tens of thousands of systems and computers and, and um, servers that are running under people's desks that have, you know, small pieces of capability on them. To understand really that, that footprint is, is staggering and something that people continue should, should try to get their hands around. Um, but you can't rely on the security of all of those, uh, of just one of those assets to, uh, to grant access to all of those assets. And, and that's, the, um, that's the essence of, of zero trust. And so when you have this situation where you need to be able to migrate all of these capabilities and to work through them one at a time and um, secure them in a more cohesive way uh, to bring them to a more convenient access paradigm, um, it, it, is, it is the only way to set up that migration path and to think about it, um, think about it in at all a modern construct. A lot of the Department of Defense's default mechanism is to, is to set a compliance regime where you will follow these rules and you will follow them to the best of your ability. And if you need an exception from these rules, you must get permission from, um, from some very high up stakeholder. The the enforcement of that type of compliance regime and the efficacy of that type of global compliance regime is has not proven itself to be as strong as this zero trust paradigm where you can eliminate many of the common pitfalls of oh i just left this test server up for a few days and then it got forgotten about or a contract changed over and you have these other you know unaligned assets or uh, a misconfiguration here or a misconfiguration there. Having the enterprise tools and common services to utilize a zero trust framework um, is going to enable security. It's going to enable security at scale. Um, and it's also going to reduce the cost to do so. You know, pushing each, pushing the, um, pushing the IT costs for a zero trust transition down to individual asset owners and individual mission owners um, is going to heavily inflate your costs. And so it's incumbent upon these large enterprises to um, help their individual assets understand their risk, help them make good decisions about the access that they're going to grant, uh, both in policy and in, and in enterprise uh, common services, and then um, give them the, uh, the compliance structures necessary to allow them to, to go forth and secure themselves under this new paradigm. And, you know, across the Department of Defense and other federal agencies, we're, we're seeing that it happen at uh, just an incredible pace. You know, IT transformation takes years and years and years. And um, we've, seen, we've seen COVID really just open people's eyes that say, we must do this now. We cannot wait. We have to undertake this challenge, um, both, uh, both for the convenience and, and the work-life balance and the safety of our workforces, uh, but also because it is now that now that individual workers have had that taste of being able to be effective from home and having that flexibility, that's going to be a demand that they place on their employers going forward. And, and even the Department of Defense, right? People are not going to want to change back from this telework world, um, and it's time to embrace it and enable it and, and really make it as secure as it can be. We're going to pause here and take a short break. My guest today is Jay Bonsi. He's the Director of Government Custom Engineering at Akamai. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, on the discussion Zero Trust in Complex Cybersecurity Environments, sponsored by Akamai on Federal News Network. 
maintain operational efficiency, and ensure seamless secure access to enterprise application services with Akamai's Intelligent Edge platform, surrounding everything from the enterprise to the cloud. With over two decades of service to federal agencies, Akamai keeps decisions, apps, and experiences closer to users than anyone, and attacks and threats far away. Learn how we are supporting the federal government's cybersecurity posture at the edge at Akamai.com. That's A-K-A-M-A-I.com. Welcome back to the discussion, Zero Trust in a Complex Cybersecurity Environment, sponsored by Akamai on Federal News Network. My guest today is Akamai, enjoying this conversation about Zero Trust. The next thing I wanted to go into, we've been talking about why Zero Trust is important, why it's important for an enterprise. Let's say you're an individual that wants to start uh, you know, incorporating Zero Trust into your life, into your business. What are the sort of steps that you can start taking to, to really make yourself more secure? Thanks, Scott. Um, when when you live in in a in kind of a complex enterprise and you are uh, an individual asset owner or you are an individual, um, you know, IT leader, and, and you have a number of systems that are kind of under your purview, uh, the first thing uh, that you're going to have to understand is that at some juncture you're going to have to consume new services. You're going to have to make changes uh, to the way that you field and think about your application. You may even need to go so far as changing your business practices and, and changing the way uh, that you um, say grant access to the application or, or handle permission structures. Um, so the first thing is you, you are going to need some amount of funding to do so, right? This isn't free. Um, you cannot wave a magic wand. Um, you will need to uh, work with your uh, your enterprise, uh, your sort of source of funding um, to be able to establish that. Um, talk to other um, other folks in sister organizations who have uh, gone through this transformation so that you can uh, get a sense of, of how expensive it is and what you need to do. Um, additionally, you're going to have to understand your user base. And this is, uh, this is really key to understanding the type of access and the real risk that you are incurring uh, by moving out from the VPN or uh, by adopting these um, enterprise common services. For instance, um, do you have mobile users? Are your users primarily on in an office or a facility or a base or an installation? Are they primarily at home? Are, they, um, are, do you, are you performing knowledge work on unsensitive data, right? Uh, you know, there is a big difference between, you know, a large ERP and signing up for the on-base health facilities, right? So understanding the sensitivity of your data, understanding how users are going to interact with it, understanding how users are, um, how they are credentialed, um, and uh, what the facilities they have to, uh, to offer their identity uh, to you. Once you have that, and, and there, once you have that, you'll, you'll be able to start to make um, some salient decisions and to build kind of those um, user vignettes um, that you're going to have to secure and what you're going to offer to them um, as a part of the service. Uh, the DOD and, and other federal agencies um, publish actually um, pretty solid guidance around uh, how to think about your data, the sensitivity, um, whether or not there are uh, additional legal concerns like PII or PHI um, in making those security decisions. Uh, but it, you can, even if your organization is in a nascent place and those common services are not in place, this is homework that needs to get done on a per application level. Um, and having this ready to go and having thoughts about how you want to enable um, that access for your user and the, the risks that you're willing to take um, is going to help you to adopt whatever zero trust program um, comes down to you from your enterprise IT shop. Okay, so you know, this is an individual uh, side of things and, and it's much easier to do something like that in a, a private realm. Uh, you know, there's a lot less of a acquisition sort of and policy sort of way of doing things. What if you're in government? Uh, you know, how can you really or a much bigger sort of entity? How can you also start your zero trust journey and, you know, maybe take this time to really push that big ship uh, and turn it to, uh, you know, a different area of the ocean? Um you know, we, we have this um, we have this saying um, in my shop that there um, there are no technical problems, there are only people problems. And uh, here, this is a thing that you need to consider as a large organizational shift. Um, and uh, General Radigi touched on a lot of the, the the specific organizational realignment pieces inside of the Air Force that that his team is already undertaking. And every large IT shop is going to have to map 
their own way through this journey. You're going to have to bring in your acquisition professionals, your HR professionals, your policy stakeholders, um, your operators, right? Your former boundary operators, um, your current asset um, operators, and any sort of, uh, you know, you're going to need contract support. And um, getting those folks together and then talking about security um, as a shared responsibility, uh, much as how the push to modern cloud facilities involves uh, a shared responsibilities model. Zero trust is a shared responsibilities model for security, right? There will be enterprise providers um, that give you a certain amount of functionality. Also, you have um, facilities that are provided to you um, by your credentialing agencies in the DOD. You have a very good credentialing program in the common access card, right? And that, that works uh, very well. Everybody has one, contractors, military personnel. Um, but then when you have to step outside of that, we know that that doesn't work well on mobile phones. And so you need to think about uh, the ways in which that you want to enable your organization uh, to do work, um, what the actual, uh, the technical risk factors enabling something like BYOD are. And, and so these, uh, these decisions are complicated. They are not typically in the realm that you would enable individual asset owners to make. And so to set um, good policy and good guidance, uh, just to help them navigate this very, this much more complicated space um, is, is key. The other, um, the, other, the other piece about this, and we touched about this um, as an individual, if you're this large enterprise IT shop, you're gonna have to make sure that you do centrally fund a, a lot of these efforts, right? Um, many, uh, many assets that are in sustainment, um, they don't have the right color of money to make these changes in a federal sense. Um, and so you have to think about uh, novel acquisition strategies to get them the funding necessary to, uh, to make changes to their application. You have to worry about some of the contractual terms um, about um, who is doing that work today and how you can empower those, uh, those vendors to be able to make that kind of sudden IT shift. And so in some cases, you're gonna have to plan two, five and 10 years out to be able to sweep through your entire uh, field of uh, applications um, to be able to, to get them to migrate to this new, more secure paradigm that enables um, access for their users. Um, so you have to think about this truly as uh, an enterprise migration construct and in sufficiently large organizations, you have to think about the customer experience of each of the asset owners. What do they need? Uh, how are you going to enable them? What use cases? Are you uh, enabling sort of incrementally um, with your uh, common services? And so making sure that you understand the needs of your asset owners, making sure that you're listening to the feedback from your users, the ones who are experiencing uh, the, the zero trust framework, you know, and consuming it and using that uh, to get access to get their jobs done uh, and making sure that, that each set of stakeholders has a voice in, uh, in the room there and, and be prepared that this is gonna take you five to 10 years to get most of the way there. there there's a, there, in sufficiently complicated organizations, this type of transition will often take a whole contract cycle uh, to be able to get this on the right path. Um, and there, there are a number of stopgap measures that you can be clever and take today uh, to be able to get more secure. You'll never get perfectly secure. Um, and so we would encourage people to think about what the stopgap measures are um, and how to uh, implement them in your organization. Um, so for instance, good SSO, good credential management policies, good second factor policies. These are all keys to, uh, to making sure that the decisions that are made by your downstream asset owners are within the guardrails um, that you've set. How much does this um, mitigate some of the problems with personal cyber hygiene? So, you know, if you have someone who maybe in their personal life isn't very good at, at cyber hygiene, but you have a, a good zero trust model in your organization, uh, can this be helpful just because of the way, you know, because there is no trust <laughs> for anyone at this point? Um, so zero trust can help um, it, it depends on whether or not uh, you control the platform on which uh, a user is interacting uh, with your IT systems. So a GFE, government furnished equipment, or your IT corporate laptop, those very much 
are hardened platforms with antivirus software and you know all of the compliance regime, disk encryption, everything that you need to do um, from both uh, security and uh, regulatory standpoint to keep data secure. Um, if you enable um, personally owned devices, you have to you have to understand what the risk of something like a keylogger or something that's going to pull information from your systems and send them to some third party without um, your knowledge. And so understanding the actual threat vectors of personally owned devices, understanding, you know, how mobile phones can get compromised, understanding the, the, the little pitfalls of each area of the space is necessary to make that really well-informed risk decision. And again, if you are if you are the you know the on base gym and you're just trying to do uh, reservations, that's that's a different uh, class of sensitivity than you know the personal information contained inside of an ERP. And there, there's a lot of gradations in the middle there, right? So, for instance, um, some sensitive applications don't let you use a a web browser to get to them. You use a, a VDI uh, because the the threat surface inside of that virtual desktop interface is a lot lower. And it's a lot easier to um, it's a lot easier to secure that uh, than than having to worry about the end users platform having some kind of malware on it. Well, Jay, it's been a real pleasure talking to you about zero trust. Uh, you know, I just wanted to quickly, if you just have you know, in fifteen seconds, are there just a few other pitfalls you wanted to highlight? Um, you know, just that people should be careful of uh, about zero trust. Yeah. Um, NIST has a really good publication on zero trust. It's 800-207 special publication. Um, and in it, they say one thing in the, in the, in the forward that I think is, is really important is that uh, zero trust journeys are always incremental. Um, do not let uh, perfect be the enemy of the good. Whenever you are trying to secure something, um, making steps towards more secure at every iteration is better than waiting for some grand plan for it all to come together. Uh, making individual uh, individual steps, individual assets, individual new common services. Uh, that's the way to think about this as a journey. And don't worry about having some perfect architecture that's going to meet every use case right up front. Right. Well, Jay, I'd like to thank you and also like to thank our guest, Brigadier General Chad Radigi, the Director of Cyberspace and Information Dominance and Chief Information Officer at the headquarters of Air Combat Command for the United States Air Force. And then obviously, Jay Bonsi, the Director of Government Custom Engineering at Akamai. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Akamai. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Zero Trust in Complex Cybersecurity Environments, sponsored by Akamai on Federal News Network.